going to be a great morning. All right, let's do this. Let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, grab it. And let's go to Galatians 3 again this morning. We're actually going to read out of Galatians 3 and chapter 4, so just kind of mark your place there. Uh, but before we read anything, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to get out that index card that's sitting in your seat. Everyone should have one. And there should be a pen somewhere around you, okay? There should be a pen in the seat back in front of you, or if you're sitting on the front row, there should be a pen uh, in the seat behind you. Just ask the people behind you to be kind and hand you a pen, um, there should be a pen unless the 9 o'clock and the 10.30 service was full of thieves, okay? So just look for a pen. Here's what I want us to do, okay? I want you to take that index card, and here's what I want you to write on there. I want you to write down maybe a word or a few words that capture how you think God sees you right now at this point in your life. Now, if that's kind of confusing, just kind of think about it like this. If you had the opportunity this morning just to like walk straight up to God face to face and say, God, tell me what you think about me, what do you think God would say? I want you to take 20, 30 seconds, write a word, write a few words, and I'm going to write a couple of words up here on the whiteboard that capture how I believe God viewed me for a good part of my life, okay? Um, so you write, I'm going to write, all right? Go, go to writing. We'll talk about this in a minute. Everybody got some words? If you're still writing, you can still write. If you just got one word, that's totally fine. Um, these words up on the whiteboard, these are my words. These words describe how I believed God viewed me for such a long time, even as a Christian, even as a follower of Jesus. I know I've shared my story here uh, a handful of times, but I feel like I need to touch on it again this morning for our purposes a lot of you guys know I grew up in church, and I grew up in a very legalistic, very uh, rules-oriented type church, okay? Like, I remember one summer being on a bus, and we were getting ready to leave our church to go to summer youth camp. And my pastor, during that time, he came onto the bus, and he pulled my best friend, who was a guy, by the way, off the bus, and he told my buddy that he couldn't go to student camp unless he took his earrings out, that's the church I grew up in. Like, I remember um, we had Wednesday night CD burning parties. Any of you guys grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about? Where, like, youth pastor would tell you, you shouldn't be listening to non-Christian music. So this Wednesday, we're starting a bonfire. You bring all your terrible, heathen, play it backwards, I love Satan type of CDs, and we're going to throw them in the fire and celebrate the fact that we don't listen to non-Christian music. And so, like, I remember being a kid, I'd bring my CDs and I'd throw them in the fire, and then a week later, I'd go... Dude, that was sublime. Why did I throw sublime in the fire? I loved that CD, and I'd go and have to rebuy it. I really would. So some of you guys know what I'm talking about because you grew up in that environment. Some of you, that's what's kept you away from church for a long time, maybe if you're new to this whole thing. You, you just view Christians as these crazy, rules-based, legalistic people, and you think if you become one that you lose all your freedom. 
I pray that you see this morning how that's just not true. But listen, growing up in that type of environment, here's what it did for me. It left me with this view of God that kind of went something like this. I thought that God was like master and I was simply his slave and that I was supposed to do whatever God told me I should do. And, and if I screwed up, then God was disappointed and angry with me, right? Like I remember walking into church and hearing kind of similar things to what I just described. Don't listen to this music. Don't watch these movies. Don't dress this way. Don't hang out with certain types of people. Here was my problem. I was really good at all those things they told me I shouldn't be doing, okay? Like, I like that kind of music they told me I shouldn't listen to. I, I love the movies that were rated higher than just PG. There were certain guys in my life who did horrific, insane things that a Christian would never do, but I loved them, and they were actually my friends, and so I always felt conflicted, right? Like I would go through these cycles and these seasons of life where I'd walk away from church and I'd go, all right, God's master, I'm slave. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to make him angry. So I'm going to try really hard not to do those things that that guy on stage is telling me I shouldn't do. And I'm going to try really hard to do the things he's telling me I should do. And it would last for a little while. And then it would get tough. Because to do the things that my pastor told me I shouldn't do is just easier at times. Like I'd get into the car with a buddy and he'd be listening to that CD I burned in the bonfire the week before. And I'd go, yes, I miss this, man. I love this, right? I wouldn't just listen. I would sing along. Like I was good at it. Um, I'd go to a buddy's house and they'd put in Tommy Boy. You know, it's hilarious. PG-13. And I'd laugh and I'd go, man, I miss this. I love this movie. And, and then I'd feel bad because I'd walk away and I'd go, God must be disappointed and he must be angry with me. I'd hang out with those friends who, who weren't Christians, and I'd go, oh, should I really be doing this right now? Is God going to be disappointed and angry because I'm hanging out with these guys? Some of you, again, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you walked in the room this morning with this mentality that I lived with for a long time of God is master, I'm slave, I do things to keep him happy and to keep him off my back. And when I step out of line, it results in him being disappointed and him being angry with me. I mean, look at what you wrote on your cards. I guarantee you that there's several of you in this room. Maybe you didn't use these two words specifically, but I guarantee you there's several of you in this room who wrote things on your card that are very negative, that, that kind of line up with where I, I was at um, that point in my life as a high schooler. Like you walked into the room this morning and you really believe that God's view of you and his acceptance of you is totally dependent on what you do and what you don't do. Now, here's the reason that this question of how do you think God views you is so important. Listen, don't miss this. See, as people, how we view God and how we believe God views us, it determines everything about us. It determines who we are as we wake up and we live our lives on a daily basis. Like, who you believe God to be and what you believe about how he sees you, man, it determines the way you behave, the way you speak, the way you feel, the way you act toward others and interact with others. And maybe you're here and you're new to this church God thing. Maybe you walked in and you don't even believe in God and you're sitting in your seat going, nope, not me, bro. Like, you don't know me. I, God is non-existent to me, so how could my view of God or his view of me shape the way I live my life, behave, act, think, and feel? Well, stay with me and let me make my case, okay? Um, if you're here and you don't believe in God, first off, I just want to say I'm glad you're here hanging out with us, and I don't know who got you here, if it was like the girl beside you or the guy who promised you lunch, but I'm glad you're here. Um, if you don't believe in God, here's the deal. You become your own God. I mean, can we just agree with that? 
Like you kind of live your life and you dictate you. You are your final authority in life. Now here's the problem with that. One day, your God will die. You get that, right? And so what that means is this, is that you live your life each day with no hope outside of yourself. The only hope you have is you. And I guarantee you, man, you probably wake up each day and you probably live your life thinking about you before anyone else. Um, You probably wake up each day and you pursue temporary things that this world can offer you to try and find some type of joy and happiness while you're here because there is no eternal joy and happiness for you to latch onto in life if you don't believe that God exists. And so, again, at the end of the day, even if you're here and you say, I don't believe in him, Your non-belief in him dictates how you live, behave, act, and speak. None of us are exempt from that truth. And this is exactly what Paul is pointing us to in Galatians 3 as he sets out to remind us in these churches that he's writing to of exactly how God sees us as his people. And if you have your Bibles open, man, we're going to start reading Galatians 3 verse 26. If you don't have anything with you, then you can just feel free to follow along up on the screens. Let's read this together. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Now, go to chapter 4 and skip down to verse 4. And let's pick up reading there. Paul goes on to say, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba there is an Aramaic word. It's very personal. It just means dad. And he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right, let's see how smart you are. What does Paul say about who God sees us to be? How does God see us? What does he see us as? A son, right? Let's just go ahead and write that up there so we don't forget as we keep talking. He he sees us as sons, Now, this is huge, and we can't miss why God sees us as sons. And I'm going to kind of recap on where we've been the last few weeks, but it's good because we need to rehear this stuff, okay? God sees us as sons, according to Paul, because Jesus Christ came to redeem us. That, That word redeem in these verses we just read, it simply means to set free by paying a price. You see, during Paul's time, you could actually like show up to a slave auction and you could purchase a slave, not to take that slave home and make him work, but you could actually purchase a slave and then set that slave free. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, but people actually did it during this time. And Paul's telling us that this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for all of us who know him. He's paid a price to set us free. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, Listen, that's exactly what he wants to do for you today before you leave. He wants to set you free. Now, free from what? Well, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ came to this earth as God in the flesh, born of a human woman under the law to set us free from the law. Now, let me help make sense of that. If you were here last week, 
All we talked about was the law, right? How God gave us in the Old Testament 613 commands to show us how screwed up and sinful we are and to reveal to us just how much we need his grace and his help. Okay, And so Jesus, what he came to do for us, because listen, none of us are perfect, are we? Like if you think that you can know God, have a relationship with God through simply following rules and being a good person and obeying certain things from the Bible, listen, you're sadly mistaken, right? God's idea of a relationship with you requires perfection. He's perfect, and so he wants you to be perfect. None of us are perfect, so we're in trouble. But you know who is perfect? Jesus. He came to this earth and he obeyed every single one of God's commands perfectly his entire life here on the earth. And then at the end of his life, Paul says that Jesus laid his life down. He paid a price to set us free. You see, Jesus Christ, what did he do at the end of his life? He suffered the consequences of imperfection. He suffered the consequences of not living up perfectly to all God's commands, and he did that on our behalf. He paid the price of disobedience, of sin for you and for me so that we could be set free of trying to earn our way into God's graces, trying to earn our way into God's acceptance through being good people. And the reason Paul calls us slaves to the law is simple. Think about a slave. What does a slave do? They wake up and they work and they work and they work and they work every day of their lives, but they never experience freedom. And if you want to try to have a relationship with God through just following rules and being a good person, you are a slave, Paul says, because you can never experience the freedom that God wants to give you just by working hard all the time to be a certain type of person. You see, Jesus laid his life down and he suffered death and hell in your place so that you could be free from having to live up to some set of expectations to make God love you. That's what Christ did for you. Now, listen, it gets even more amazing because Paul says that Jesus didn't just pay a price to set us free, but listen, he did it for the purpose of God being able to adopt us into his family. I mean, this is incredible. During Paul's time as well, um, people could actually show up to a slave auction. They could buy a slave. They could set that slave free. And then they could turn around and adopt that slave into their family as a son. And if you go, well, why in the world would anyone want to do that? Well, the reason was simple. If you were a wealthy person during Paul's time, and maybe you and your wife couldn't have kids, that meant that you had nobody to carry on your family name. And it also meant as a dad, you didn't have anybody to leave all your stuff to when you died. And so a family could literally go purchase a slave, set them free, and then bring that slave home and treat them as a son. Like they were part of the family. Like they were flesh and blood. And Paul's saying that Jesus Christ, he paid a price to set us free so that God, the God of the universe, could adopt you and me into his family and love us and treat us as his very own sons. It's unbelievable. And Paul, he doesn't stop there because he says, and then he put his spirit inside of us, and his spirit exists inside of us so that we never forget who we are. You see, his spirit lives in us to remind us the God of the universe, he's your dad, he, he's your father, church. This is amazing. Now, for the rest of our time this morning, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about what it means for you and I to be sons of God. Very practical, 
um, very real stuff. And I pray you leave encouraged. But before we talk about it, I, I just want to speak to one group of people in the room real quick, okay? I know that there are some of us in the room today who've had just terrible dads. Like when you hear the word father or dad, it carries very, very negative implications for you, right? Like maybe you're like my wife and you grew up without a dad. Like my wife's dad bolted when she was a baby and he's never been around. And so maybe you're here and your dad abused you, he abandoned you, he's never been present, he's talked down to you your whole life. So you think about father and you're like, I don't wanna be anybody's kid. I don't, I don't wanna have a father. Listen to me, God is not like your dad. God is a good dad. He's a loving dad. He is a gracious dad. And he loves his kids more than we can ever comprehend. And man, I really pray that you walk out of here in the next few minutes and you believe that. So what does it mean to be a son of God? Well, let's talk about it. First off, it means that we're clothed. I'm just using Paul's language here, okay? Um, he says in the verses that we just read, if we know Christ, that we've put on Christ or in some of your Bible translations, he actually used that term, you've been clothed in Christ. Now, let me explain what this means, all right? I want you to think about your clothes. Like, why do you wake up and put on the clothes you wear each day? I think we could all agree it's for a simple reason, because you want to make a statement to people around you about who you are, right? Like, clothes help us to, uh, to define our identity. Like, some of you guys, you wake up each day and you put on a business suit to say to people around you that you are a business professional. Some of you guys wake up and you put on a uniform to say to those around you that you're a policeman, a fireman, an EMT. Some of you guys, you wake up each day, you put on scrubs so that people know you're a doctor, you're a nurse, and if they come visit you, you won't kill them, right? Now, I love, since we're in the dirty south, I thought I'd bring up Jeff Foxworthy. I love what he says about redneck's clothes. If you're a redneck, you'll love this. He says, if you give me a redneck man's t-shirt drawer, I can tell you what kind of truck he drives, what radio station he listens to, who he roots for in NASCAR, what he likes to hunt, who his favorite college football team is, his philosophy on life, and where he went on vacation the last 21 summers. <laughs> it's good, right? And then he goes on and he says, if you give me his windbreaker, I'll, I'll tell you what kind of cigarettes he smokes. Right on. I mean, the point is that our clothes give us some sort of identity when it comes to how people view us. And this is exactly Paul's point when he says that if you know Christ, man, if you believed in Christ as your Savior, that you are clothed in Christ. And being clothed in Christ means that you are sons of God and that Jesus has given you a brand new identity. It means that you are son of God, Christian, before you are anything else in life. I mean, think about the things that we do and think about the things we accumulate in order to you know, present some type of identity to others. I mean, we do it with the money we make, the car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, even the religious stuff that we do. Listen to me, if you know Christ, none of that stuff matters. You're son of God before you're any of that stuff. You're, you're son of God before you're your house or your car or your job or your title or how much money you make. Listen to me, that means that you are freed up from having to live or to do certain things to impress other people around you. Some of you need to hear that. Like, listen to me, who cares what people think of you if God is your dad and you're his son? Who cares? Who cares what kind of car you drive? Who cares what kind of house you live in or clothes you wear? If you're a son of God, who cares what people think about who you are? You're defined by Christ first and foremost. Listen, it also means, though, as a son of God, as somebody clothed in Christ, that you are freed up from having to live to impress God. 
You know how amazing this is? You know how insane it is to think about this truth that if you know Jesus, every time God looks at you, he sees you as a son just like he sees Jesus as a son. Like because Christ clothes you now, he sees you as someone who has lived the same life that Jesus Christ lived while he was here on the earth. So that means, man, if you're showing up to church every week and giving money and serving and doing things out in the community because you want to impress God, because you believe God's master, I'm slave, he's disappointed, he's angry, my job is to be religious and do churchy things to impress him so that he doesn't have to feel this way about me. Listen, you are living a life in which, man, you're making yourself a slave again, right? You don't have to impress God. He sees you as a son and he fully accepts you and fully loves you simply because you've been clothed in Christ, man. And it's final, man. I hope that frees some of you up today. Uh, Next thing, next thing. If you're a son of God, it means that we're one together. This is a collective statement. It means for all of us in the room who know Jesus as our savior, um, we're just one big, messy, crazy, but hopefully loving, happy family. Um, the Pharisees, I've told you about the Pharisees before. Uh, they were the religious elite of Jesus' day. And the Pharisees, they were known for this prayer that they prayed each morning. Here's the prayer. Think about this with me as I read it. A Pharisee would wake up and say, I thank you, God, that I'm a Jew, not a Gentile, a man, not a woman, and a free man, not a slave. Like, what an arrogant prayer, right? To wake up and pray, God, thanks I'm me, and I'm not any of these people around me. Well, Paul, when he writes in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 3, he's letting us know that this is a very arrogant, very stupid prayer by pointing out that if you are in Christ, all distinctions are removed in him. That means when you are a part of God's family, Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free, those distinctions don't exist anymore. Like Paul's trying to get us to understand that when it comes to knowing Christ, race does not matter socioeconomic status does not matter gender does not matter like paul wants us to understand that jesus is in the business of tearing down walls that could divide us in order to unite us and use us for the glory of god in the world in which we live and so that means some things for us and i'm about to say some hard things to some of you in the room okay so stay with me i say this in love it means that as christians we can't be racists Like, you get that, right? If we are one in Christ, we cannot look at other people and judge them, categorize them, stereotype them because of the color of their skin. You remember that song, if you grew up in church, that we used to sing, Jesus loves the little children? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Isn't it insane how as kids we could sing that and we could really believe it? And then we grow up into adults and we just get stupid. And we look at the world around us and we start categorizing and stereotyping and treating people differently just because they're a different color than us. Listen, that has no place in the family or the kingdom of God. We can't be racist. I just want to let you know, man, that my prayer for our church, and I've said this before, I pray that our church would continue to grow more and more and more colorful over time. And that's my prayer for a simple reason. It's because I believe the kingdom and the family of God is colorful, and I want this church to be a picture of God's kingdom and his family to the community and the world around us. 
And I'll just be really honest. I just don't want to be hanging out with a bunch of white people every Sunday, right? I don't know how you feel about that, but listen, if you have issues with it, here's all I'll say to you, man. Um, you can't be a Christian and be a racist. And if you want to be a part of this church and you're racist, you need to repent and ask God to change your heart because we're not about that. Um, also, it means as people who are one men, it's going to be tough for some of you. It means we can't be sexists. You get that, right? Like, guys, if you wake up every day and you treat women like they are second-class citizens, um, if you refer to women using words that someone might use to refer to like a female dog or a woman who sells their body for money, listen to me. It's time to grow up. It's time to repent of that trash because all you're doing is degrading the very daughters of God. And there's no room for sexism in the family of God. You gotta understand, one day you'll stand before God and you'll answer for the way you treated his girls. And I hope that that scares some of you into repentance. I really, really do. But listen, ladies, let me say this to you as well, okay? Um, It also means that, ladies, you can't be man-haters. You get that, right? Like, and I don't wanna downplay this because I know that there are women in this room that you've experienced just horrible things because of a guy in your life. Like, I get it. Like, some of you had terrible dads. Some of you have had terrible uncles, grandfathers. Some of you guys have been married to a horrible guy that walked out on you. Some of you have been in relationships where a guy treated you like garbage. And ladies, here's all I'll say to you. Um, That's why you need to look for a man who loves Jesus more than anything else in life and will commit to you to love you like Jesus loves his church. Don't settle for anything less. But listen to me, when it comes to your brothers in Christ in this room, and you can't have those defense mechanisms triggered and you hate on guys because of past experiences. If they are your brothers in Christ, they are one with you and we have to love each other deeply. Now, lastly, um, what this statement means for us, if we're one in Christ, it also means that we cannot be elitists. You know what an elitist is, right? It's someone who elevates themselves over another person because of money, socioeconomic status, whatever. Uh, When I lived in Miami back in 2006, I went down to help a buddy plant a church there in South Beach, and uh, we met in this nightclub. And I remember one morning we were sitting up for church, and I walked out of Sobe Live down in Washington, and I saw something that just, man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. There was this homeless guy eating out of a garbage can, and this trash can was right next to this $200,000 Lamborghini. And I just remember that still to this day, and and it reminds me all the time of how easy it is to let money and social status divide us. But I just want you to know, man, if we're sons of God, if we belong to the kingdom, the family of God, those things should never divide us, ever divide us. Listen, I don't care if you came to this church this morning, you know, from the trailer park in your beater car, or if you left your million-dollar home in your fatty Lexus. We should love one another deeply as people who are part of the same family and refuse to let money or socioeconomic status divide us. We are one if we are in Christ. Lastly, and I want you to write this down, if we're sons of God, it means that we're heirs of God. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Listen to me. 
Do you know that if you know Jesus Christ, all of God's promises and everything that God has and owns belongs to you? I mean, isn't that insane to think about? Like all of his promises, the promises we talked about last week that God made to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. Abraham, I'll be your God. You and your people will be my people. I'll bless you. I'll give you a place to live in, and I'll use you to bless the earth. Do you know that all those promises from God are ours as well if we know Jesus and we're his sons? I mean, it's unbelievable. But, but listen, all of God's stuff is ours too. How insane is that? And listen, you may never experience all of God's stuff here on the earth, but when you step into eternity one day, you'll experience all God's stuff, and it's gonna be yours as well. Have you ever been to somebody's house as like a house guest, and it was awkward, and it was weird, because you were eating their food, and hanging out in their kitchen, using their bathroom, sleeping in their bed, like it felt like we're guests. You know what I'm talking about? Well, some of us, man, we view God that way, don't we? We think that after we leave this earth, we're gonna show up to God's place, and we're gonna kind of be there as his guests. But that's just not true. You're gonna show up to where God is as one of his sons, as part of his family, and all of his stuff is gonna be your stuff. You are an heir of God. It's absolutely incredible. Now, ladies, let me say something really encouraging to you really quick, okay? Like if you're one of the ladies sitting in the room wondering, why is James calling us sons and not daughters, right? Like James just said a couple minutes ago, not to be sexist, but he is leaving us out. Well, ladies, if you're offended, let me get you unoffended, okay? Um, Here's the reason. During Paul's time here on the earth, in ancient cultures, daughters were never heirs to their father's estate. Like legally, it was forbidden for a daughter to be named an heir of a father. And so here's what I want you to understand. In this passage, Paul uses the word son not to exclude women, but he uses that word to include women in the inheritance of God. He's trying to make the point that God is a father who blesses and gives freely to his people no matter if they are men and women. There are other places in the Bible that refer to us as the family of God as a bride. And so ladies, if men can be called brides, you can be called sons, right? It's all good, and it all like, lets us know that, man, we are blessed by God, loved by him. So it's a good, good thing. Now, here's what I want you to do as we get ready to wrap up. I want you to get that index card back out. Just get it, wherever it is. I want you to look at it. If you wrote something negative on that card, like I wrote on the board, here's why I bet you did it. I bet you wrote those negative words on that card because 30 minutes ago, you didn't believe this message that I just preached. Like, I bet you walked in and wrote things like I wrote, disappointed, angry, um, wants me to do better, because you walked into the room this morning believing God is, is master, I am slave, and I just do what he wants to keep him happy. Like, you didn't walk into the room this morning believing I'm a son and God sees me differently, and I have a new identity in Christ, and I'm loved, and I'm accepted, and nobody in this room is better than me, and everything that is God is mine because I'm a part of his family. Jesus set me free, and God adopted me, and I'm his. So listen, look at that card. You want to know what's on there if you wrote something negative? It's a lie. It's garbage. God doesn't view you as what you wrote on that card if it's negative. He views you as a son. He loves and accepts totally, fully, and forever. 
And so you know what we're going to do with those cards this morning? We're going to do something with them to declare our freedom today. And here's what we're going to do. Because what's on those cards is garbage, we're going to treat it like garbage. And I'm going to ask you in a moment as Joel gets ready to come sing a song again, when he starts singing, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to the front where these trash cans are now. I want you to rip that up. Some of you guys that are aggressive, you like that, right? Rip it up. I want you to trash it just to say, I'm done living like a slave. I'm done believing that God sees me this way. I believe today I'm a son, and from this point forward, I am living in the freedom of that. I don't care, man, if some of you want to crumple it up, you want to throw it on the ground and stomp on it. I don't care if you want to chew it up and spit it out, right? Whatever you want to do with that to declare, I am a son, not a slave. You do it. But I'm going to ask you, don't just sit there, participate. You bring that up, you rip it up, and you treat it as it is. It's garbage and it's lies. We are sons of God today if we are in Christ Jesus. Joel, I'm going to ask you to come and to lead us. And when Joel starts singing, you move. Let's go ahead and stand together.